Welcome to PSMJ Radio. I'm your host, Monty Oberg, and today I am joined by Mike Elligood to talk about some project management disaster stories. And it's pretty appropriate that that's the subject of today's episode because for us, this is actually the second time that we've recorded this episode. The first time we tried, we had our own disaster and we thought we recorded the whole thing. But as it turns out, the software wasn't actually recording anything. So we just actually ended up having a conversation to ourselves. Uh, but we decided to not keep it to ourselves and re-record it to share it with the rest, the rest of the world. So that being said, Mike, welcome for us back to the show. But for our listeners, uh, first time, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Marty. Uh, it's a pleasure to, to be here and share a few war stories. Uh, by way of background, uh, you know, I'm a civil engineer and uh, a couple degrees in civil engineering. Uh, my specialty, my specialty uh, was bridge design project management. Uh, I worked uh, for several uh, consulting firms over the years and uh, ended my career as a public works director in, uh, and worked my full-time working career as public works director for Maricopa County, Arizona. Uh, since that time, uh, I've had the pleasure of working with PSMJ for, for about 15 years now. Uh, and I work primarily with public works agencies helping them uh, deliver projects. And quite frankly, Marty, uh, these stories that I tell, I tell frequently in, in my uh, in my classes, uh, just to kind of drive the drive the the message home. Uh, let me start by uh, uh, kind of a what is now funny, it wasn't at the time incident. Uh, a story I call How the Train Hit California for a major uh, consulting engineering firm headquartered in, in Southern California. And uh, we were working on a joint project with another major consulting firm uh, on uh, converting some old Southern Pacific freight lines into commuter rail. Uh, the idea was that the folks in the, in the Inland Empire, as it's called, that live in San Bernardino and Riverside counties, could easily jump on a train then and commute directly into downtown Los Angeles and relieve some of the incredible traffic in, in Southern California and L.A. So the way that work was divided was the other firm we were partnering with would design all the railroad tracks and we would design the train stations and the uh, ticket vending machines, parking lots, park and ride lots, all that sort of thing associated with everything other than the track. Well, our colleagues went out, designed the track real well and went out to construction and uh, it got built and uh, we came along and did the same thing with the railroad station, got some good bids. Everything was just fine. Opening day at the railroad station. Beautiful, beautiful spring day, about this time of year, actually, in Southern California. Uh, everybody's very, very proud of, of, of the work that they've done. We were all there. The high school band was there in this small community. Mayor was there in his suit, you know, and everybody was real proud of opening day at the railroad station. And here comes the first train into the station. And as the locomotive rounds the curve and 
the big light is shining, blinking back and forth, the Mars light, bells are ringing, the train locomotive had its the bells ringing. It, it starts to pull into the station. The front of the locomotive hit the edge of the platform and ripped it off. Suddenly, everybody got really, really quiet. Oh, dear, how could this happen, we all said. Well, fortunately, it was more embarrassing than real damage. It, it did tear up some of the platform, which was easily repaired. But we went out and did a little bit of forensic work, and we discovered, um, <laughs> rediscovered, I should say, because we, we all knew this, we just didn't apply it. We discovered that there are two... Uh, survey datum in common use in the United States. One of them is the North American survey datum of 1984, called NAD84. Most everything is located uh, in accordance with the uh, NAD84 datum. But there's a previous datum called NAD27, North American datum of 1927. And certain utilities, in this case the railroad, designed and related everything to NAD27, whereas the rest of the world did it to NAD84. There's enough difference between the two to cause that rather embarrassing incident. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I told this the same story um, to a group of clients up in Ventura County, California, and they said, yeah, we run into this all the time. You know, every time we have to hook a new pipeline to a new uh, water pipe or sewer pipe to an existing, we have to be careful because much of the stuff was designed and built to NAD27 and not to NAD84. So anyway, moral of the story. Always, 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 when you put together a set of plans, locate in the field the tr control point and locate everything that you're doing and all existing infrastructure to that same control point. Use the same data. Okay, that's story number one. The next what, What's story number two? <laughs> well, the next sad tale I'd like to share with you, Madi, and the, and the listeners is, is uh, how I found a municipal landfill. Uh, this was a joint project. I was chief engineer and general manager of the flood control district of Maricopa County before I, I uh, was assigned as public works director. And we were involved in a joint project with the city of Phoenix and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to take the Salt River, which is uh, basically uh, dry almost 90% of the time, uh, it's been dammed up and it's very, very heavily controlled. But we were to take the Salt River and construct in the center of the river a low flow channel. City of Phoenix and the Corps of Engineers would then come along once the low flow channel was in place and construct, uh, constructed wetlands and other infrastructure improvements, uh, for an ecological restoration of the Salt River. We funded uh, we were paying for this project jointly between with monies from the city of Phoenix and Maricopa County. So it was a joint project. Great cooperation, kumbaya, and all that stuff. So we started out the design work, and 
me being the old bridge guy that I was, I said, okay, I want surveys of the river bottom, a geotechnical survey of the river bottom, every couple hundred feet down the center line of this roughly four mile long channel. City of Phoenix, who was funding this jointly with us, said, Mike, you're nuts and we're not going to pay for it. There's nothing in the bottom of that river. It's sand, gravel, and cobblestone. The river has been studied to death. Um, we, uh, we know the geomorphology of it. Uh, we've taken soil borings everywhere on that river. That place looks like Swiss cheese. You don't need to take any more soil tests. So we ended up with a compromise, and I agreed to a, a soil boring frequency of, I don't know, one, every thousand feet or something, just to kind of verify that there was no unusual soil conditions in the riverbed. Plans got done. Corps of Engineers approved them. Everybody approved them. We went out to bid, got all the permits, all the right-of-way, everything's cool. Contractor came in. We got good bids from the contractor. We were very proud of ourselves. $11 million. We had estimated it would cost 15 or 16. Good bids. Out comes the contractor to construct. About a third of the way through his excavation, in one particular location along the center line of this channel, he finds an abandoned municipal landfill. This landfill goes would uh, go back to the 1920s, uh, mostly construction debris, old tires, and usual detrius of, of uh, municipal waste that you might find. Apparently, uh, back then, they just dumped stuff in the river and kind of helped it went away. Well, since I discovered it on my contract, I suddenly get to own this abandoned municipal landfill. Um, it cost a, a change order of about $3 million to have the contractor over-excavate, clean it all up, sort all the trash, and then take it to uh, uh, take it to a dump. So the moral of the story is: don't ever shortchange the underground investigation of a project, even if you think you know what's there. Uh, geotechnical investigations, utility investigations, all these things are cheap money compared to finding a uh, disaster uh, during construction. You find it during construction, and boy, the contractor will own you. So it's just better off uh, just taking, taking those investigations, making those investigations just to be sure. So that's how I found a municipal landfill. Marty, um, I have one other story. Please share. I'm all ears. And that is about um, an earthwork bust. I was a public works director and transportation director at this point for Maricopa County. And we were constructing a new road that would go almost due north. Actually, the roads here in, in, in the Phoenix area go almost always north south east and west they're, they're, they're it's very it looks like a big checkerboard from, from the sky this was a northbound road it's called gilbert road to go north drop down into the uh dry salt river bed uh have a low flow crossing cross up the other side and then cross 
a couple of miles of Salt River Pima Maricopa Indian Reservation and link in with State Route 87 that was kind of a shortcut up into the mountains. Now, Phoenix gets quite hot in the summertime. You know, weekend, a lot of Venetians and people that live in the valley tend to escape the heat and go to the mountains, which is a fairly short drive away. This uh, particular route, once it's constructed, would take about, cut about 15 miles of driving and reduce traffic in, in a number of areas. So it was quite quite needed and quite appreciated the fact that the county was doing it. Well, the plans were done, but we were unable to procure all the right-of-way at the time, simply because we're buying right-of-way on Native American reservation, and it's a very complex uh, procedure. Uh, you've got to get uh, permission of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and uh, they look at it quite, quite closely, uh, trying to make sure that the interests of the Native Americans are... Uh, are preserved. So my project manager put the plans on the shelf, thinking that when we got the right-of-way, we could take the plans off and then proceed with the project. Uh, plans were put on the shelf in June, and by December of that same year, uh, we had gotten the right-of-way clearance. So I said, project manager, let's get going on the project. Let's, let's get it underway. And uh, we took the plans off the shelf and put them out to bid. During the bidding process, one of the contractors who was going to propose on the project, construct the project, going to bid on it, uh, came to us and said, I can't get the earthwork to balance. The earthwork as out there on the site are different than the earthwork shown on the plans. So I said to my um, Project manager, um, Tom, did did you check did you check the plans in the field before you went to construction? He said, "Well, no, I haven't because you were in a hurry." And I kind of reminded him that I wasn't in that much of a hurry uh, that we have to be prudent about things. It turns out that the Salt River Pima Maricopa Indian Community had a sand and gravel mining operation, and the material in the bottom of the Salt River is is a, is a very good source of sand and gravel. So they were busy mining it, and uh, subsequent to um, our finishing the plants, there was a 50,000 cubic foot hole in the middle of the river uh, that was not shown on the plants. So what we had to do is we had to stop the bidding. We had to go back. Uh, do some extensive redesign to uh, compensate for that $50,000 hole or 50,000 cubic yard hole. And uh, we did. We redid the project in several months. And, of course, the project's been completed and it's in use now. Moral of the story, just before invitation to bid, every agency should have a process to release the project for construction that should include a final in the field check of the project site. You gotta check for change land use around the project, make sure everything is the way it was as you designed the project and so forth. And this is the best practice protocol that I'll often teach in my classes. 
Well, Monty, that goes, there's three stories. I could go on all day talking about uh, fun I've had delivering public infrastructure, but I think you have a taste of it. A couple things I'd like for the listener to take from this. And I've, I've talked about these. Never, ever shortchange the underground investigation. If you ever think you can take a shortcut and not do the, some of the soil borings that someone else thinks you might want to do, remember my story about finding the landfill. Even if you think you know what's there, do it anyway. Two, uh, have a release for construction protocol. And that release for construction protocol must include a last visit to the site to make sure nothing has changed, to make sure the access is the way you remember, to make sure that uh, there have been new utilities put in that, that you didn't know about, to make sure that um, there isn't some crazy earthwork like a 50,000 cubic yard excavation in the middle of your center line. Uh, make sure that their land use, adjacent land use, is still there and so forth. And finally, remember the train hitting the station, relate everything to your control point so that you know exactly where everything is. Well, Maddie, we've talked for about 20 minutes. Maddie, what yeah. do you think? I mean, I like everything you had to say. You make a lot of good points, and it's, it's nice to hear. Uh, or I shouldn't say it's nice to hear, but it's always – for an outsider's perspective, it's always fun to listen to these kind of disaster stories just to, you know, enjoy someone else's is misery, which I realize sounds sounds awful, but they are they are fun to listen to. The thing I've taken away most from these is that you've been doing you were doing this for a long time. And even though, like you just said, you should make sure, you know, everything's in order and, you know, check, double check all that stuff. Mistakes and problems and disasters, they're going to happen even to the best firms or to the best people who try to do the right thing, uh, you know, all the time. They're going to happen. So, I mean, what I've taken away more than anything is that just be okay with them happening and know that you can move forward. It's it's not going to be at the end of the world. Yes. Is it embarrassing? Sure. Is it fun? No, not by any means, but you're going to be okay at the end of the day. Yeah, um, I'd like to, if I could, just spend a minute, Marty. Uh, I read an article here quite recently about the California high-speed rail project up in the... Uh, and if for the, for the listener who's not familiar with it, California high-speed rail is a proposed high-speed rail line funded partially by the state and partially by the federal government that ultimately will connect... Los Angeles and San Francisco by a bullet train like uh, the Francis TGV or, or, or the Japanese bullet train or any of the stuff being done in China through the Central Valley. So they're going to come out of L.A. and probably swing uh, to the east and then go north uh, up through Bakersfield all the way up to Central Valley on high-speed rail. The first segment of it was to be built between Fresno and I think it's Madera, first segment of it. Uh, they used a design-build contractor, uh, 
a firm known as uh, Tudor Saliba. And they no they let the contract, they let notice to proceed, and they got a, a, a proposal, a contract for less than a billion dollars, which they were celebrating. But just a few months into construction, they're now up with about $600 million of claims and changes. And when you start looking at the reasoning behind it, they didn't have all the right of way. They let a contract and gave the contractor notice to proceed without having the right of way. And so consequently, the right of way was held up, as often happens. And now uh, uh, the contractor has delay claims. The second thing that happened was the utilities were not in the place that the utility companies thought they were. Well, no kidding. And that's why you have to do a utility investigation in the field. When a, when a, when a utility company gives you a set of plans and says, here's where our utilities are, you better go out and verify them. Remember, never shortchange the underground investigation. And, and then the third thing that happened out there was they had proposed to relocate a roadway. And uh, they were going to locate relocate about 20, 25 feet, get it out of the way of the of the of the train. And apparently, it interfered with the roadway relocation. Interfered with a business, several businesses. And so the mayor came out and insisted that instead of 25 feet, they move it 400 feet. Again, changes and delays. All of this stuff should have been taken care of during design, instead of waiting for construction. Uh, I look at that and I look at some other disasters around the country, like the big dig in Boston. That, uh, we're still, we're still getting repercussions for that because everybody objected to, to the environmental aspects of it. And so they had this big environmental mitigation project involving bringing light rail into, into downtown Boston. That created a whole nother snowball full of change orders and extras. So the whole project is has been a, a real disaster. Well, the problem with with what I'm seeing is we depend on credibility with our um, our, our our taxpayers to fund these projects. And if we take their money and we can't deliver, or we can't deliver on time, or we can't deliver without cost overrun, we lose credibility. And I think really uh, long term. This is absolutely essential. Anyway, um, so the tragedies go on, Marty. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, hopefully they'll, hopefully people will just learn from the mistakes and the next one, uh, the next one will get better. But we're actually running out of uh, time. You're... So, uh, oh, wait, do you have uh, something you want to say? No, uh, Marty, you're, you're the eternal optimist. We've been I, we've been screwing up projects for a hundred years now, and we, we we simply never seem to learn. Yeah, I'm fortunate, but anyway, I'm I'm young. I like to I like to think positive. Uh, I have plenty of years <laughs> for, for negativity to beat me down. Uh, okay. But as I was starting to say, we're uh, we're running out of time, Mike. I know you are uh, one of our consultants at PSMJ and teach some of our PM boot camps. Uh, where can people go if they're listening to this and they want to either speak to you more or uh, get some more information from you? Best thing to do is email me through PSNJ, M. Ella Good, 
at uh, psmj.com. Ella Good is E-L-L-E-G-O-O-D. That's M Ella Good at psmj.com. Just send me an email. No charge. I'd be happy to get back to you. Excellent. Uh, from all things PSMJ, you can check us out on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, we're at under we're at PSMJ underscore resources. Uh, just PSMJ resources on Facebook for updates on our blog and all of our exciting programs coming up. But for now, uh, thanks for listening. Bye.